3: Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. He's Jonathan Casillas. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes in multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we have a jam-packed show today as we're going to focus on three more schools as we inch closer to the NFL draft. And right off the top, we are heading towards Big Ten country as we will focus on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And to break down this year's class, we're joined by former Minnesota running back. He's now the current radio analyst for the Golden Gophers, none other than Daryl Thompson. Daryl, you got Lance Meadow. Jonathan Casillas here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end?
4: Things are good. Appreciate you guys having me on today.
3: Absolutely. Pleasure having you on the program. And I want to start with a position that could very well Daryl interests the Giants, and that's the center position, given the fact that they lost two players in free agency. And that brings us to John Michael Schmitz, six four three ten, projected to be one of the first two centers taken off the board. He's been a consistent starter over the last four seasons and seems to be a mauler in the run game. But how would you compare his run blocking to his pass protection from what you saw during his tenure at Minnesota?
4: I think it's improved. I think it's one of the things that uh, Coach Fleck and the offensive uh, line coach uh, Callahan wanted to work with on him, with him, to improve that. And he's improved. You know, he kind of, you know, early he didn't play a lot, but uh, over the course of time, he's just improved and very, very physical in, in in the run game. And then, you know, in the passing game, he's just improved. And the passing game is just a little bit more technical and, and difficult. Anyway, just got to be stronger and more stout. But he's he's improved and he's worked on it. I think he's. Uh, I think he can um, certainly have a nice NFL career.
3: With respect to the age, I know every time we see a prospect who is about 23, 24 years old entering the NFL, everybody gets concerned, well, maybe there's too much mileage in the tank at this point. He's going to be 24 when his NFL career starts. Any red flag there, Daryl, in terms of how he's a little bit older than most prospects at this time when they enter the league?
4: You know I don't think so, especially not with the modern game. You know, they don't practice like they did back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s uh, in college or professionally. So I just don't think the wear and tear is going to be an issue. It's not, he's not been an injury pulling player. He's just, I actually kind of like guys like that. They, they're seasoned, they know what's going on, they don't get caught up in the flash and the glitter. They appreciate where they are and what's going on. They don't probably want to go out and run around at night as much as some of the younger guys. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, John Michael Schmitz is uh, one of those guys that uh, uh, I, I don't think he'll hurt you at all. I think that, that seasoning on him is just what you want, just like that chili always tastes better the next day. He's uh, he's one of those guys. Hopefully he's uh, a little bit better the
2: next day. I like it. Being a former Big Ten player myself, linebacker, of course, for the University of Wisconsin, a lot of linemen come out the Big Ten, and they're, they're pretty much NFL ready, especially Wisconsin and, uh, you know, uh, Minnesota, you name it. You know, the, the school's. They're, like, putting out guys that are ready. I guess what's the difference between the, maybe the Big Ten and the SEC or other, you know, big powerhouse schools that, you know, guys are coming out the Big Ten, especially on the offensive line, kind of ready to go?
4: I think it's just the focus. It's so interesting. You make a good point, and I really like watching. I'm not a big – I'm a former running back, so I appreciate the offensive line, but of I like watching <laughs> the, line, the line at uh, Wisconsin, and I really like watching the offensive line. At Iowa, two lines that like just work in sync. It just looks like those guys are working together, eating together, lifting weights together, going on dates together, doing yeah. everything together because <laughs> they just move in tandem. We do a good job, a really good job in Minnesota, but the commitment to the offensive line, uh, you know, from Badgers, from your, from prior to my area through your era to right now is certainly really strong It's some of Iowa. And we've got a, a commitment to it here, but the, the legacy of the Wisconsin and the Iowa linemen, you can probably barely turn a game on on the weekend and not see either a Wisconsin or Iowa offensive lineman on the field for one of the
1: teams.
3: Daryl, when it comes to offensive linemen, usually when they have versatility, it's a little bit more appealing. And what I mean by that is maybe they don't just play center. You can move them to guard. You can play guard tackle. John Michael Schmitz obviously has been mainly at center over the course of his career, but maybe teams coming in who have a center want to bring him in and move him around. How much player movement do you think he has on the line as he makes the next step to the NFL?
4: He did play some guards, you know, early in his career, and I think, you know, he was he was just the best at center that we had. So, you know, you're just going to kind of stay there and do your thing. But typically, you know, a lot of times and he has the size. You know, he's not super small. So, I mean, being 6'4", is you know, a... Good height, you know, to um, be able to, to move and to, to be that guard spot as well. I doubt he can go out and play the tackle, but uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident he can probably um, play guard and help help the team there uh, in the pinch situation. I don't I don't know if that would be like the long-term type of thing, but I think he could, you know, get you through a game or maybe get you through two games like that if he had to.
2: Yeah, I love what you said about, you know, uh, the, the linemen going on dates. You know, um, in my experience, you know, the, the offensive line, they're always like uh, – not a standalone group, but they're definitely a group that rocks out together. You know, I I think of uh, the movie Troy and uh, his Achilles, his group of guys that were like the front leaders of the war, that's what old linemen are. You know, And, and I think Wisconsin does a great job. Iowa, you mentioned Minnesota. I think they do a real, real job in kind of nourishing those relationships within the organization or team. And I think that translates over very, very well to the NFL so I think the Giants have that kind of atmosphere here and uh you know I I definitely see you know uh my man fitting in you know well to the Giants because the Giants number one (laughs) they get a lot of criticism here especially along the offensive line because of what they've done in history you know so I expect him to come in and you know of course the Giants have a you know 25th pick overall they also have a pick in the second round but, you know, seeing where he ends up at, you know, I think he'll have some success. I'm looking at his stats and his numbers, and he's been a longtime starter, and he's played a lot of good football. And, you know, that's what people are looking for here on the NFL level. Not only can you do, uh, you know, well at your position, but can you fit into the group when you're called and you're brought into this, you know, this brotherhood of men and another brotherhood of the offensive line inside of the brotherhood of the NFL?
4: Absolutely. And you guys know you had a great one there from uh, Minnesota that uh, made my job easy when I was, he left when I was a sophomore. Brian Williams was a tremendous um, center for you guys with uh, the Giants. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I'm sure that uh, John Michael Smith will be honored to follow in that tradition and those footsteps.
3: Initially, I thought Jonathan was making a parallel to Brad Pitt with his Troy film reference. I was going to ask you, Daryl, if maybe you could build some type of a parallel with Eric Bina or Brad Pitt who starred in Troy with John Michael Schmitz. But we're not going to put you on the spot like that. Jonathan, he likes to throw out his curveballs. I'm just warning you. You don't know where this conversation is going to go as a result. But in all seriousness, we focused a lot on the offensive line, but let's move to a position that you also know very well, and that's the running back position. And they have Mo Ibrahim who's five eight two zero three? 203. I know he's projected to go maybe later in terms of the NFL draft, but here's a guy that ruptured his left Achilles, overcame that, seems to be a really good pass protector. What's jumped out to you about his production during his tenure in Minnesota?
4: Well, number one, his toughness. You know, Moe, he's an old school. He would have been completely fine. I mean, I think John McSmith, any of these guys we talk about would have been fine in any era, but uh, Moe's tough. You know, he's a, he's a throwback. He played on an ankle this year that was sore um, and still, you know, had over a 1,000 yards. And I think the, the thing about him that I like is he always gets more than what it's blocked for. And if you're a, a running back, a running back coach, or someone that appreciates running backs, I don't want you to just get the plays blocked for three yards. I'm expecting four yards, five yards, six yards. I'm expecting you to go 12 yards and break a tackle or something like that. I don't – there's this – thing about you know everyone needs to be fast and run like you know a four three four four forty i don't emmett smith walter payton the greatest backs of all time they weren't burners they got yards and they got extra yards and mohammed ibrahim he gets yards he gets extra yards and he's tough he's the type of back i'd like to have and uh, unfortunately for him he's gonna slide down a little bit just because of the value of running backs has changed over the course of time now they're kind of like you know well sure if we can get him in the I don't know, whatever they had on like on fourth round or something like that. He he should be a second round pick or maybe even a first round pick. But right now the, the way things are and his ruptured Achilles last year, I, I understand that. But he came back and proved that that's that is fine. Uh, proved he's tough, Teddy can pass block and he can catch the ball and he can um, he's patient. He stays in the film room. So he's uh, he's gonna be a really, really nice catch for whomever um decides they want to end
2: their back game. He seems like he could be a still, a diminutive guy, not not a big guy, right? But he had over 300 carries this year. That's something to prove after Achilles and and Lance. You know, that's something I'm overcoming right now. But luckily, I don't have to tackle anybody or break any tackles. That's a great thing. But I'm looking, he only had seven receptions uh, this year you know uh, out the backfield do you do you know why that that is he had over 300 carries 1600 rushing yards but only seven receptions this year do you know why they've only i guess targeted him a few times to only have seven receptions they,
4: we had a we had a lot of receivers they liked getting involved too and it just wasn't part of the attack for them mm-hmm. you know we do a lot of them that kind of you know obviously what everybody's doing now the rpl breed option and he is so much gets so much attention it probably you know we ran some screens and things in the focus, but I could see, you know, somebody like a uh, Dallas or maybe even you guys, you know, because he's going to be available later, so it's not going to cost the team a lot. But he'd be a great um, supplemental back, and then maybe he becomes a primer back, you know, like a Pollard or someone else, you know, um, down the line to say, well, once we try him out, and he comes in for a little bit, uh, he might be your horse, you know, for you know three years, five years, you know, running back shelf life is obviously a lot different than the majority of the other positions on the field.
3: Plus, most teams go with running backs by committee, so it makes sense to groom somebody. Perhaps if you lose a player two or three years down the road, you have somebody in-house who has at least some mileage left in the tank with respect to some gas. As he is Daryl Thompson, former Minnesota running back, current radio analyst for the Golden Golfers. Daryl, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we very much look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks for hopping on the program. So, one of three stops on today's program. We are going fast and furious as we continue to get you set for the 2023 NFL Draft. And it's only a smooth transition considering we just were talking about running backs. that we now bring in Matt Stevens, former UCLA quarterback, who you can hear on the Bruins Radio Network. He's their color analyst as we jump into the UCLA Draft class. Matt, you got Lance Meadow, Jonathan Casillas here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all as well as everything on your end.
5: Yeah, doing great. Out here in California where it's always snowing and raining and very cold.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we
5: could clearly relate to that, Matt.
2: Whatever. It's 30 yeah. degrees here. Whatever. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
3: yeah. Our uh, thoughts and prayers are with you, Matt, to somehow get through Mother Nature. I know it's very strenuous and uh, difficult on you, but. Let's bring it back to some X's and O's. We were just talking about the Minnesota draft class, and we were focusing on one of their running backs, and that's where I want to start with UCLA, because I think the player to watch is Zach Charbonnet, who's the transfer from Michigan. And when you're looking for an all-around back, Matt, somebody that can catch the ball on the backfield, can pile up the yardage, I think Zach fits under that label. How much do you think whichever team ultimately drafts him is going to get an all-around back where there's no question about whether or not you should take him off the field on third down.
5: Well, you know, I've seen Zach Charbonnet play in high school, and then obviously uh, I commentated him in college. Uh, he's a workhorse. I mean, he can carry the ball, anywhere between 25 and 32 times a game. Uh, he's very durable. He never seems to take a big hit. He's a big guy, too, 6'2", 220, 225. I was very surprised that he ran a 4-5 in the combine. I think that's great. I mean, that showed that he can pull away from people. Um and he can make guys miss in the open field. Has a great pair of hands catching the ball. He was used a lot, you know, with UCLA in terms of all purpose yards. you know, catching the ball. Uh, he's a great blocker on blitz protection. I mean, whoever gets him, it's a steal. because he's going to be a 10-year NFL guy.
2: Wow, that's a, that's a lot to say, especially at that position. So where do, you, where do you see him landing? Because, you know, that running back position, which I, I don't like that the running back position is devalued as much as it is dealing with the Saquon, you know, franchise tag and his number. And I don't like it, but, you know, I found a lot of value in running backs because I was a guy that had to tackle running backs my whole career and, and cover these guys. You know, where do you see him landing in the draft this year?
5: You know, the, the projections are third or fourth round. I mean, it's just because he is that running back and that's how they select him later in the round. Uh, but like I said, I mean, you're going to get a steal. I mean, I, I really, if he goes to the Giants, yes, he's going to be a backup running back, but he's also going to be a one-two punch. You can use him in so many different ways. And I think the things that you like about him, I mean, he can get the tough yards. He can, he can make people miss, but he does those other little things like block that are so important to any kind of offense. And, uh, you know, when you have a guy that's smart, willing to do everything at running back, I mean, he's a valuable player.
3: Well, I'm glad you brought up the blocking aspect because I think that's something we focus on no matter the running back in terms of can you trust him to protect your quarterback? What specifically jumped out to you about his pass protection? How much do you think he's improved during the course of his development in that department?
5: Well, you know, Chip Kelly, he's he's one of those guys, his first statement about running backs is, you know, no block, no rock, Mm. you know, so that's the first thing that Zach did, and he's one of those big kind of guys that can block with leverage. So if you got a blitzing linebacker coming off the edge, no one's touched him, I mean, he's going to stone him. I mean, he's right there. I mean, he's willing to put his body in front of a defender to protect his quarterback. And then he's very good with his feet. Probably the best thing about Zach Charbonnet, for a big guy, he's got real quick feet, real quick steps. And not only is that good for running, but it's really good for blocking. And that's what really helps Zach Charbonnet.
2: Absolutely. And with that size, look, you know, sometimes you're not going right into the league at that position and playing right away. You know, sometimes you got to feel your way on special teams. You know, so he looks like with his size and his measurables, depending if he got a screw or two loose, because you kind of need a screw or two loose to play football in general, and then maybe an extra screw loose to play on special teams. What, do you think he fits into that kickoff type mold or maybe even like a uh, punt returner or punt coverer? You know, do you think he fits into that mold?
5: Yeah, you know, I don't think he's going to receive punts or take back kickoffs or anything like that. That's not his personality, but he can be an up back or a blocker, yeah. and he will be a willing guy on special teams. You know, he comes from a great high school, Oaks Christian, uh, where they, you know, won a lot of football games, went to Michigan, went to UCLA. He's a high football IQ guy. And you could see Chip Kelly, he did a lot of things with him. I mean, in terms of, you know, running routes, check releases. I mean, he was running wide receiver routes. He can line up out wide as a wide receiver. You know, he can get in and almost catch the ball like a tight end over the middle. Uh, You know, when you have a high IQ guy that had a lot of football under his belt, and he's very durable. You know, I can't say that more than enough. Very durable. For some reason, he doesn't seem to take big hits, and he always makes that first guy miss. But, you know, when you have a high IQ and you're going to get to the NFL, I mean, you're very valuable.
3: Speaking of playing the trenches, I want to move to the offensive line. And Antonio Maffi is somebody that played both guard spots, got tremendous size at 6'4", 338. But I think maybe there's a little bit of rawness, Matt, still to him and maybe question marks about where he could fit in on the next level. So, A, what position do you think is his strongest suit and how far along has he come with respect to his development?
5: He's, he's a guard. He's not a tackle, and I don't think he can snap the ball. Uh, he was probably the best player to watch last year at UCLA in terms of run blocking. I mean, he can if he goes one direction, he's going to take out two or three guys. I mean, he plays with real good leverage, and his body shape keeps him low, so he doesn't attack people high. Uh, one thing he has to improve on is pass protection. Uh, he's worked at the whole year. He has to get quicker feet. I'm not saying he has slow feet, but, you know, he needs quicker feet and pass protection. And his football IQ just has to be raised up a level because he only played offensive line for about a year and a half, two years at UCLA, uh, coming from that defensive line position. So the more experience he gets, the better he's going to be. But you're not going to find a better run blocker coming out of the draft.
2: Oh, wow. That's high praise, man. You know, and for a guy that, I guess, commuted over from defense to offense – I think that takes a little while. You know, we were talking earlier uh, with the guy from Minnesota talking about the brotherhood of the offensive line. You know, and the Giants have a good brotherhood here, and I'm pretty sure they're going to, you know, get together and a lot of guys have to improve. So you get them on a good team, man, with, with a good offensive line, with a good leader and a good captain on that offensive line. He's definitely going to improve, especially on the intangibles, because he probably has the tangibles to line up and, you know, push some guys off the ball and even pass block as well. But the intangibles will probably come in his career as long as he's down to work and to get with the program.
5: Yeah, you know what? Antonio Monty, too, is a great guy. Uh, He really enjoys the game. He's always laughing. He's always having fun. You know, he does some things out there where, you know, You're like, be careful, you're going to get a personal foul. Uh, You know, he has a little mean streak in him, uh, but in terms of bonding with all the players, he was probably one of the most popular players on the team, and that really goes a long way.
3: I know they have a few other players that are projected to be undrafted free agents, but the one guy, Matt, that I'm curious about, only because he has a connection to the Giants quarterback, and that is Jake Bobo, the wide receiver, who coincidentally was with Daniel Jones in 2018. It just goes to show you what a small world it is. He transferred from Duke, and his numbers have improved every single year, and you could argue he's coming off one of his finest seasons from a statistical standpoint, and clearly as the size may not have the speed, where do you see his biggest appeal skill set-wise at the receiver position?
5: Probably playing that slot receiver position. Uh, when you go, you want to work the middle with a tight end, and a slot receiver. He's a big body. Uh, he can catch the ball in traffic. He plucks it out of the, the air. Uh, he can fight for a football. He has great leaping ability, good body control. I think the one thing that you know he has to improve on is speed. Uh, so I don't see him being a burner on the outside. I see him more of a slot receiver on the inside.
2: Yeah, um, I'm looking at his his weight two oh six at six four. Is it does he did he improve his weight at all at the combine?
5: No, nah, I mean he that that's just his frame. He's very long. Yeah, long and he's guy. He's pretty thin. Yeah. yeah, and he has really long arms, and he can go up and get the football. Uh, got a great pair of hands. You know, there's you know his speed is his big question mark.
2: What about his physicality? Because I've seen guys with with that measurable, not the weight really, maybe a little bit heavier, that converts to like that H-back tight end position. Then also, we talked about earlier playing special teams. You know, for me, I was an undrafted guy, and I played special teams early in my career. You know, some of these guys, man, that come in, especially later draft picks, undrafted guys, you know, they they can make their way on special teams. And I was kind of having a question, like, do you think he's, you know, capable of doing that?
5: That's the one thing he's going to have to improve on when he gets to the NFL. He's going to have to be a better blocker. He's going to have to be physical. He's going to have to put his head down in the pile and uh, prove himself. Uh, And that's going to be, if he's going to make it or not, uh, I, I think that's going to be the key for Jake Bobo.
3: Sounds like Jonathan Casillas wants to get him in the cafeteria and yeah, cook him a meal or two based on that reaction. He can maybe give him a little bit more to uh, put on the frame. He is uh, Matt Stevens, former UCLA quarterback. You can hear him on the UCLA radio network as the Bruins radio analyst. Matt, always good going back and forth. Greatly appreciate the time of the inside and look forward to talking to you down the road.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, you got Matt. it.
3: Our pleasure. So some great insight into two classes thus far Minnesota, UCLA. We're going to get to Michigan State in a little bit and an opportunity for you to weigh in in between at 201-939-4513, that being the telephone number. You can also use hashtag Giants Chat, You can reach out to us on our individual Twitter handles. And there's so many schools, so many prospects across the board. It's always interesting to hear their stories. But I think the common theme between Minnesota and UCLA is you got two running backs that are appealing. And... The million-dollar question is going to be, given the fact that Nick Gates left to go to Washington and John Feliciano's now in San Francisco, do the Giants say to themselves, we want to attack a center early in the draft, or is it more of the mindset, Jonathan, maybe we could get a veteran free agent to come in before training camp starts, and we'll have him compete with some of the internal options right now, who Joe Shane threw out three when he was at the owner's meeting. Mm-hmm. He had mentioned Jack Anderson. Bredesen. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then the... I did not hear him mention Joshua Zudu. I wouldn't no, rule him, right. out. He no, he him out. No, you didn't throw him mm-hmm. out. But that, to me, could be very well a wild card, Yep. right, in the mix, oh, given the sure. fact that you know he's been somebody that's played all around the line at UNC. But Bredesen, I would say, as well as Jack Anderson are the two guys perhaps in the clubhouse right. who have some versatility on the interior of the offensive line. But it seems to be a wild card position right now. Yeah,
2: for sure. And he did mention to see possibly during the draft or after the draft when teams are trying to figure out if they got to let a guy go or not, given that the, you know they're bringing in new guys. Yep. So that's something that I think you got to pay attention to. But I did pay attention to who he said first. He first he said Jack Anderson, and the second time he said it, he said Bredesen. I don't know and if and Shane Lemieux was also and, and Shane that Lemieux too. as yep. well. And and I'm trying to see is like is he telling us something? You know, I'm trying to figure this guy out here. You know, I haven't <laughs> done it. The dots. I haven't done it yet. I haven't figured him out yet. But like I said in prior shows, look, I I have my utmost respect for him and the job that he's done, and I and I believe that he's going to get it done. And I don't know if it's in house job quite yet. If it's if it is Bredesen or Jack Anderson or Shane Lemieux, we'll see. Yeah.
3: Well, I was crunching some numbers just to give our audience an idea. And it's not to say that none of these players can actually handle center, but Bredesen's had nine starts over three seasons, none at center. Jack Anderson three starts none at center. He's been in the league for two seasons. Shane Lemieux eleven starts in three seasons. Has dealt with injuries, of course, and he has no starts. So those three guys combined have no, no starts, starts at, at center. center. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't practiced. They've taken some snaps. And Bredesen and Anderson have been moved into center throughout a game at times. But we're still talking about Jonathan, a very very small sample size based on what's currently on the roster.
2: Yeah, and that's I think that's a very uh, concerning you know uh, uh, you know theory because. That's a very important position, the center oh, yeah, position. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times that they're they're calling the defensive front down. They're calling the mics, who you know they're involving the linebackers into the you know the the coverage uh, of the offensive line. You know, so for me, it's it's for me, it's a little concerning. That's why we speak about this almost every time we we come on the show. We talk about what is the Giants doing at center, and I think there's a lot of prospects out there. But you know, my thing is, is what do you attack in the first round? You know, what do you attack in the first round? You know, if, is the kid John Michael White is he available? Do you grab him? You know, early in in the first round, maybe he's available in the second round. You know, you never know. Or is it an in-house job? You know, I I I think the the Giants are doing such a good job and kind of like not really uh, tipping their hand, but kind of just giving guys or giving us as media a little bit to kind of go and run with it, like to do this show, to give us enough to do this show. Because that's their but, number one priority, right, but, clearly. But, but they don't not care enough. about the roster, only us. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm saying not enough to actually give us a true idea of what they're going to do. You know, So he kind of keep, keeps us in the dark, and it helps us talk about this a little bit more.
3: We're always looking for a helping hand. We're not complaining from that standpoint. No, but there are a lot of different elements to your point to read into. That's mm-hmm. why you mentioned you, yep. you're trying to figure out. But here's the worst thing that I think could happen. You never want to take a player to position because you have a huge void or a hole sort of sell yourself on the player when deep down inside, Jonathan, you're still very much on the fence. And something tells me they're not going to take a center unless they truly love that player and they feel he's justified at that value and maybe could kick out to guard here or there and has some player flexibility.
2: And, you know, you just brought up a great point. Do you think that the Giants do bring in a guy that only plays center, whether it's through the draft, post-draft, Because a lot of guys, especially with the name that we named, They have versatility to play on the right side or left side at guard and then also at center, even though they don't have that much game experience, due due to Giants bringing a guy basically strictly to play center.
3: Well, it's an interesting question. I would say, given the players we just went over, and you know all three of them can play multiple guard positions, you have a few other guys on the roster, too, that could kick into guard. I don't know. My answer would be, Jonathan, I don't think it's a major priority Mm -hmm. that they bring in somebody who plays center in addition to another position. Because I think what you already have on the roster – God forbid there's an injury here or there, you can swap guys out at left guard and right guard. So I would say if you have a player, like we were talking about, John Michael Schmitz, who mainly has been a center in college, if you feel good about him, you know he's not going to play elsewhere, I'd still feel okay yeah. taking him because you need somebody on the roster right now that has experience. Right.
2: As of right now, the Giants do not have a starts center. starts so. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. basically. I, I I agree. And that's the thing. I'm trying to figure out exactly, not exactly, but the idea or, or the thought process of where they want to go with this position. We just don't get anything from Joe Shane or Dayball. They don't give us too much. That's why we're here speculating and you know giving that's you guys an opportunity game. to chime yes. in.
3: But, once again, it's an important position, which is, I emphasized this on yesterday's program, I'm glad to hear you say the same thing. Not that I think that you needed to be sold on the position <laughs> as a defensive player, but you know a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, you could get away with a young center or a developing mm. center. Jonathan, look at this division. Look at the defensive no, fronts, yeah. right? The Cowboys, Washington, the Eagles. What is the common element? The interior, the defensive, interior defensive line, line. right? Yep. You can see a defensive line. He could push that center back into the quarterback, and that could be a lost play, lost yardage. So it's not an oversight of a position. I would completely disagree with that. Definitely. Subject. I
2: mean, and it's it's one of the most invaluable positions on the offense in general. You know, of course, you got to have good receivers, a good skill position. you got to have a good quarterback. You know, but that person that has the ball in his hands before the quarterback, he has the ball in his hands every yep. Yep. single play defenses understand that too. So, if you can fluster or frustrate or get into the pocket of a of a center and get him frustrated, you literally throw the entire offense off. You know, and that's why it's so important to have a good, sturdy <clears throat> guy at center. Does he have to be older and experienced? Probably not, but he has to be talented and he has to be ready to go. That's for sure.
3: Because like you said, it's the intellectual side of things, mm-hmm. right? It's not just, is he physical enough to handle the pressure? Of course, that goes without saying. But the fact that he's handling the football on every single play, I mean, he's the line of communication between the quarterback and the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. Because if something goes wrong with the snap, that's it. Could very well be a lost play. And there are a lot of centers. I'm sure you saw this. I'll bring up a name from just covering the league. Corey Mm Lindsley, who was with the Packers, is now with the Chargers. One of the interesting things that he does, and I'm curious, Jonathan, how much you have seen this, he will... When they go into the huddle and the quarterback is yelling out the play, Lindsley will turn around and he'll face the defense because he wants to see the alignment. Yes. Whereas other centers, you see they're facing the huddle, right? right? But he stays with his back to his teammates to sort of survey the field and then report back to the quarterback. That's a rare occurrence. I don't see that very often. But the reason I'm bringing up that position, the intellect.
2: I was just about to say that. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm
3: you're now the extra set of eyes for the QB and the rest of the offense to pick up on things prior to the snap. So don't dismiss that and don't overlook that. That could add so much to what could be a lost play or something that could be a game-changing play.
2: Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, he's doing that, like you said, the intellect, but he's, 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 gra- he's gathering intel. He's gathering information yep. on the defense because a lot of defenses now, they understand that they can move that defensive line and they can fluster the offensive line. So he wants to get you know the most information that he can and relay that back to not only offensive line but to the quarterback as well. So they go in with all of their information on deck. And then if anything changes, at least they have all the information pre-snap before anything else happens because that's what you want to do for defensively defense You want to fluster our offense and you start with their offensive line You start with their better players and you start with their offensive line and you basically do it from the guy that's snapping the ball If you can get pressure and and the Giants have one of the better D tackles in the NFL if Dexter Lawrence can fluster a, a center during a during a game That's a big win for the New York Giants uh, Yeah, so You know, conversely, you want to see the center for the New York Giants being able to not get flustered, being able to hold it down, gather intel, relay the message back to the offensive line and the quarterback so they can have a successful play because it literally all starts from the center.
3: Well, because if Dexter Lawrence, for example, if he gets penetration up the gut, now all of a sudden you're allowing your edge rushers to squeeze in the quarterback and the pocket completely collapses, whereas if you – Buy your quarterback some time, maybe he can wiggle out of the pocket.
2: Yeah, or step up in the big gap. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Or
3: so there are so many different things yep. that feed off of just the instantaneous snap from the center. That's why, especially in this division, with the personnel you're going up against, you could argue maybe the center's more important in the NFC East.
2: Than the tackles. Correct, yep. in comparison arguably. Yep. arguably, and the, I mean, that's not taking away anything from the no, tackles or the yeah. defensive ends or pass rushes that play in this division. But you're right, and, and I think I said this before in one of the previous shows, when you talk about a quarterback that's in rhythm, right? And he's in rhythm and he's hitting stuff, what you want to do is get him off his spot and the way you do that is by that penetration from the center and guard position. And Daniel Jones, look, I think he does a tremendous job in creating. I think he does a tr- tremendous job in stepping up in the pocket. There was a lot of plays and touchdowns that he threw from stepping up in the pocket. That's from a strong center play, strong interior lineman play. And as of right now, we've even said this, the Giants does not do not have a, a actual center on the roster. This is a position that they have to address. We don't know if it's in house quite yet. We don't know if it's going to be through the draft or post draft if they can find one of these guys that are maybe, you know, contractually not, you know, going to get what they what they want after the draft or, you know, their years are up or whatever the to case first may be. Cut or something like right, that. you know, and, and whatever the case may be, and I think Joe Shane is paying attention to all of that stuff like he said in an interview uh, previously this week.
3: Well, one quick example of what you were talking about, you remember the Eagles playoff game? There was a play early in the game where Daniel was trying to step up in the pocket and he was sacked because he got tripped, tripped up. up because the center Mm -hmm. and the penetration got to him. So, I mean, there's a textbook example of what we're talking about within the division. Why you need a
2: solid center and interior interior offensive line. Yeah,
3: especially with those big boys up front from Philadelphia.
1: A few reminders before we
3: carry on the conversation here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Menno, Jonathan Casillas with you. Giants Auto Podcast, you can subscribe to that. It's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. And there will be tons of interviews leading up to the draft as well as reaction post-draft. We are inching closer to the start of the 2023 season. So Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level. With a season ticket membership, stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, you visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants' official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. So multiple items at your disposal to consume Giants TV. One of the other positions that came up in terms of the two teams that we've already looked at under the microscope, and we're going to get to Michigan State in a little bit, is running back. And You brought up Saquon still on the franchise tag. Joe Shane mentioned that there hasn't necessarily been any major progress. They are continuing to keep communication, but they're okay. And This is my interpretation of what Joe Shane had to say, where if Saquon's got to play on the tag. They're comfortable at that number, Jonathan, which is just around that $10 million mark based on the other numbers that they've punched. But I guess what I'm getting at is you brought back Mac Gary Brightwell is still on a rookie contract. You could argue there's room for another running back. I don't think that's a stretch. But you also may want to think about if Saquon is playing on the tag and nobody's got a crystal ball, right? Nobody knows what 2024 is going to bring. Does that amp up making a move for a running back to protect yourself. I'm not talking about now this season. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about beyond this season and what you want to have on your roster and the versatility at that position? Because remember, Brightwell is getting closer to the end of his rookie deal, and Breed is only on a short-term deal as a veteran free agent here.
2: Yeah, and I talked about this before. Just to add in depth. You know, when you got a good player sitting at that, let's say second round. You got one of these good running backs that maybe are has a first round, first round grade or a lower second round grade, and you're sitting at that second round, like, hey man, this is. A better, You know, one of the better players we have on our board. Maybe he's not coming in to play running back right away, but to contribute on special teams. And I know I know that's a high draft pick to go ahead and do that. But a lot of guys that made their way, man, and I'm always going to be a a proponent to talk about special teams. You know, a lot of these guys need to come in. You know, we we talked to to the guy earlier about one of the wide receivers uh, over in UCLA. And look, what, he's probably going to be a lower draft pick if he's drafted. And when he comes in, he's a smaller frame guy. He's probably going to come into a roster that has three to four already proven wide receivers. He's going to have to prove himself on special teams. So I don't see uh, the Giants not looking at running back or, or not trying to bring in a running back. Because like you said, Saquon has a basically a one-year deal if he chooses to sign it. because. He still didn't sign it. He didn't sign sure, it yet. He, he didn't agree to it yet. To you sign. know, and, and yeah. the Giants want to work out a long-term deal with him. You know, and I think it's – look, I don't want to, you know, call a man foolish, but I think it's foolish for him not to sign a long-term deal knowing his history, you know. And, Security. And, and it's, it sucks that he's in the position that he's in given that he thinks he's one of the better running backs in the league. He thinks he's deserved 15 to $60 million a year, and I'm not here to argue that. What I'm here is to say – Saquon, and I know, look, I, I, we all want security. We talked about this last week. The Giants, you know, they want him in, in-house. in And John Mara said he wants him to retire as a New York Giant, yep. you know? So, look, I'm not telling him to take less money or nothing like that, but, you know, I think for him, it's like, bruh, let's figure out a deal. Hopefully you can find something that really works for you to get you signed and get you set up for life, not just for one year, you know, for life. And, and you got to look at that because this – the, the the career for an NFL player, especially a running back, is not that long. We hear a lot of household names, you know, the Adrian Petersons of the world, the guys that have played, you know, eight, nine, ten-plus years. Rare. But a lot of guys, most guys, play two, three, four years max. And Saquon is going into his fifth year, right? He already has – Exceeded past the uh, the average and the minimum for running backs. He's d- he's probably doubled that, you know. So and with his with his injury history, it's actually his six year
3: by the way, right? You're going to six year So yeah. he's
2: going. So he's doubled, if not tripled, the average for running backs in the NFL. And it's like you're not guaranteed another year. You know, you're only as of right now contractually. He's only guaranteed this year. Let's do something. For, let's. I, I really want him to get a deal. I really want him to play for the Giants forever. Hopefully, I'm going to be around too, you know, and I can <laughs> cover this guy. One of the most tremendous running backs in the NFL, if not the best running back in the NFL from what we've seen him as a healthy running back. He's one of the, the greatest guys. And I look for – hopefully, he can secure a big-time deal – but the giants they shouldn't look away from that position. I think yeah. they should if they got a guy on free in free agency or through the draft, I think they should bring him in here cuz he would add value to this team.
3: I'm completely with you because once again, the draft is not about 2023. The draft is about years beyond yep. that. You're not just drafting for one year. So, I'm completely with you. Now, do you take a running back in the second round as you mentioned? You know, Tim. That me, might be a reach. That, that might may be a reach. seem a little bit high, yep. but you know, when you start getting into round 4 and there's good value there, Absolutely. I do think, though, the appeal of having somebody, and I'm not saying that Zach Charbonnet is going to be there, who we were just talking about from UCLA, but somebody that could catch the ball on the backfield as much as run between the tackles. You want that versatile option because, I mean, once again, hypothetical situation. I'm not saying anybody's not going to be here in 2024, but you have to prepare accordingly. If you do move on from Saquon or you don't get anything long-term done, you, know, you want somebody on the depth chart who has... I'm not saying he's Saquon Barkley, boxed in. I get what you're saying. But you want Mm -hmm. some of those skill sets, right? Mm -hmm. Apparent. That's why, you know, I don't just want a big bruiser that's going to run people over. If I'm going to go after a running back in this draft, I want him to. And you're not necessarily going to find maybe a three down back or somebody that is built like that, but maybe has some of the scratching of the surface to be a receiver as much as he is a threat on the ground.
2: You want to have a presence in the run game and also presence presence in the passing game as yep. well. And not just going running routes out the backfield, but pass pro. That is a huge thing, and that was huge for Saquon in early in his career. People, they said the knock on him was his pass pro ability. And he's come a long and way. And he has come a long yep. way. He shorted up, and he showed that he can be a three-down running back for the New York Giants out the backfield of course running the ball on first and second down and those tough yardage third third uh, third third and short second and short type of downs but then also pass pro because at the end of the day look this league has evolved into a passing league you know so when you're on offense the receivers have to go out and catch that ball and if if you're not running a route you better be able to protect your quarterback
3: well, that's why we were asking these experts who cover these teams about pass protection, right? I mean, you could watch anybody on film, Jonathan. You know this. As a running back, he's got speed. He's got elusiveness. Well, what about when it's a third down and they're not asking him to run out or do anything? Yep. He has to be the extra line of defense. Or they're
2: going to take him right off the field. Yep. They're going to take him right off. And that's not what you want. And I think the Giants have a good stable of running backs right now. you got to mix a little bit of youth. And and a lot of experience with all three of these running backs that the Giants have on the roster right now, and and Brightwell can play on special teams too. I was waiting for you mm-hmm. to comment you know for that. that. <laughs> well, you you were angling there. I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't bring that up. I mean, you're talking about a guy that
3: plays all four special yeah, teams man. units. Yeah, Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you have somebody on the roster. I will say this. I was very impressed, and this may be a very tiny facet of this past season. I thought Brightwell showed us a lot. Oh, yeah. I, when he got opportunities he six to run. Six-yard carry,
2: I feel like, yeah. every time he got the ball. It was like instantaneous. Yep, and Breida, Spark two, Smart yeah. two,
3: No, Breida, two. but Brightwell, we had seen such a small sample size, right, because he barely got onto the field. Yep. Every time his number was called, it wasn't an afterthought. Right. I, just, I felt he made the most of his limited snaps, and you like to see that out of a young guy. I mean – Clearly, he shouldn't need motivation. Right. I mean, he barely played as a running back, but for him to get his number called and to excel in that department, I don't overlook that. And yeah. I'm sure that caught the attention of the coaching staff as well.
2: Absolutely. He looked physically ready, and more importantly, he looked mentally ready. And like you said, he's a four core teamer. He's playing on all four special teams. And sometimes you could become a little bit lackadaisical for your offensive and defensive duties when you're playing that much special teams, sure. you know, but he didn't miss a beat. He did not miss a beat every time he got in the game. I feel like he got a six-yard carry. No matter if it was his first carry or second carry, he's getting at least five, six yards on the carry. And then when you look back and you say, man, Saquon need to take a rest because Saquon has 20 touches in the game so far, and he's played 80% of the snaps, you need a guy that could come in and not drop down a level of play at that position.
3: Yeah, I think that's the biggest fear for any coaching staff. We want to give our guy a breather. The problem is, are we throwing away plays?
2: Right. Or are we still Or it productive? goes right to a passing play because you got the best running back which, out the game.
3: Which means you become more predictable, right. right? You want the defense to know, okay, Brightwell's in the game. Yeah, we're going to actually run considering two. running mm-hmm. the football. And I just thought that that was noticeable but maybe not discussed enough from a big-picture perspective. That's more of a reason why you can grab somebody in the late rounds, and little by little, you move them along, and then year two, year three, all of a sudden, you know, you start to reap the rewards. So that shouldn't be overlooked. And you know I have brought this name up, a guy who you know very well, Dwayne Harris, mm-hmm. Okay, who made a name for himself, played all four special teams units. You, know, you make a tackle here or there over the course of a game – you know, that could add up from a value
2: standpoint. Oh, 100%. And he was very valuable. He made the Pro Bowl at special teams. And, and man, I'll be watching film back from 16, 15, 16, and 17. Dwayne Harris. You like th- to
3: revisit your th- glory sometimes, days, right? Sometimes. Okay. At least be sometimes. sometimes. Okay. Odell.
2: Odell's cool, too. He pops up all the time. Oh, you know? <laughs> But Dwayne Harris, and bringing in a guy like Dwayne Harris, who's basically strictly special teams, but when you put him at wide receiver, of course he can make catches, but he's blocking. And that's the kind of a sure. underrated element of the wide receiver position, of that kind of special teams guy. And there's a lot of guys on this roster right now that play wide receiver. The Giants kind of been stacking. They've been having a busy offseason and sign a lot of wide receivers. Yep. So it's like, of course Sterling can block. You know, what guys are that, that are not going to be you know, 70 catches, 50, 60 catches on the year, but are going to play 50% of the snaps, they're going to have to do a good job, not only on special teams, but blocking as well. So when you look at these, these, uh, uh, these prospects coming out of college, you don't look for them just to play that one position. You talked about the offensive line earlier and adding that versatility. When I look at skill positions and big skill positions like linebacker and tight end, I'm looking at Right away, can they play special teams? If they can't play on defense right away because they might be buried in a depth chart, politics, whatever the case may be, or experience, right, lack, of, lack thereof, can they play special teams? And we've talked about this before. The Giants need to upgrade their special teams unit. And the way you do that, you add depth at key skill and big skill positions. And you have them, which guys that are potential starters, possibly can be really good contributors to defensive offense. All of a sudden, they're balling on special teams. And now you have a core special teams unit full of talented guys, not bottom of the roster guys talented guys that just can't play because maybe the starter's all pro like a Saquon Barkley in front of them.
3: Because you have a whelming, an overwhelming amount of depth right. at that position. Exactly. And that's a good thing to happen. Absolutely. The issue is, and I think this is something that you can relate to, special teams, a lot of it comes from desire. Oh, man. To want to be mm-hmm. involved in that facet. And I think, and once again, I'm curious your perspective, Jonathan, having played special teams is, I think maybe one of the biggest rude awakenings for most guys coming out of college is It's not a matter of can they digest the scheme and can they contribute on offense or defense. It's maybe they go from not playing any special teams in college, right? Right. Because they were a star player. Or ever. Or ever. (laughs) And now all of a sudden, if you really want to get on the field, they're going to throw you out there, maybe on two of the teams, three of the teams. And A, can you catch on? And B, do you want to go out there? Because how many times have you seen you're an offensive player, you don't tackle. Now all of a sudden they're asking you you to go out and
2: tackle. And the most important play on punt, right? And punt, and, I, and I, look, a lot of guys that I work with, younger guys, most guys, especially if they don't play offensive line, they've never did a kick step in their life. And they don't even teach that on College Punt Pro. They're doing, like, the, the spread out punt, the spread punt, and they're, like, kind of, like, uh, kicking it to the side. I forgot what that, what that kick is called. They're doing that type of stuff. College, excuse me, NFL, they got a real pass, pass pro, like, tackles and guards like an offensive line and a lot of these guys don't have that experience so one thing I try to tell them to tell them about is if you can train a guy to play on the punt team you're literally teaching offensive line you're teaching pass pro like a running back and then you teach like getting off of blocks like a defensive line. How or shed him. Right, shed yeah. a block, block destruction, we call it as a, a linebacker position. And then you're running down the field like a wide receiver, and then you have to break down and make an open field tackle like a safety, like a DB. Do literally incorporate every position on that punt play. If you can train a guy to play on punt, he can have some 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 uh, success on special teams in the NFL.
3: And he can carve out a lengthy career too. Oh, man. But it's interesting the way you put it that you're combining four or five positions really in one yep. when you play on special teams. Mm-hmm. That's why if you're looking for the versatility of the roster, we always talk about what can the wide receiver do, what can the running back do. More than that, you should start at special teams.
2: Look at that punt team. Yeah. Look look at the athletes on that punt team, especially at the tackle and wing positions. When When I was playing here in New York, I was you know, kind of a special teams guy. Then when I took over full-time as a starter, every now and again, they'll plug me in at that tackle or wing position. But you know who played wing as an all-pro safety? Landon Collins. He was an all-pro safety. Yeah, he was young, but it wasn't that we didn't have a guy that could play that position. It was just that valuable of a position because field position in the NFL is very vital. Kickoff's not so important because a lot of touchbacks, but that punt. And that changing of the field position, there's hidden yardage that come up in in terms of when you looking at the total yardage, the hidden yardages. Man, we don't lost some yardage in punt because of a, a lack thereof coverage wise, right? And that's why I'm always so so like harping on special teams because it, it doesn't really get talked about a bunch. And I watch a lot of shows, Lance. Nobody really talks about. Not returners. I'm talking about coverage guys. Guys that are front line guys on kickoff and kick return. Guys that are pressuring on on punt return. And then guys that are really living that four or five position punt uh, uh, position that they got to basically know they got to be a tremendous football player to run down on punt. You got to block. You got to protect. And then you got to shed. And then you got to run and be an athlete and then make a tackle in an open field very, very difficult to do, and if you look at a team, you look at their punt coverage unit, and if they have a great punt coverage unit, they probably have a great team.
3: Well, because it feeds off of a lot of the players that are on that unit, and to answer your question, that's why people tune into Big Blue Kickoff Live, to hear go. analysis like that. <laughs> so, you don't have to say other programs. There you go. This is the program this on an island. This, this is, is where it, we give you the nuts and bolts of special
2: teams. You gotta cut that up, yeah, I need they go. This. Now,
3: if that's not a promo, I don't know what is. He, he's choking <laughs> on his drink as you just mentioned that. He's spitting up as we speak got so emotional over that we're making everybody's job very easy in terms of the production team we add value from that standpoint yes very versatile program here as we move along it looks like we may not be able to squeeze in michigan state here on the program we will definitely get to that class perhaps on a future program but good to have your board here on thursday's edition of big blue kickoff live i want to jump before we wrap up here jonathan and still an opportunity to weigh in if you do want to join in on the conversation at 201 939 Four, five, one, three, but Joe Shane, John Marron, Brian Dable, they all spoke at the owners' meetings. And Shane's biggest takeaway was about center, was about Saquon's contract. But he also talked about the emphasis of the goal this offseason. I'm not saying that this was a rude awakening. I think most people understood what they were going to address. But when he was talking about Darren Waller, he described him as a blue-chip player, Mm -hmm. right? And that has to do with how they grade players on their board, whether it be the draft and free agency. And the goal is to obviously bring in players that can help elevate your quarterback, but stand out because, as we were talking about in special teams, there's so many different layers to a player. Well, it's no different than how they view Darren Waller. You know, this is not a guy who's just going to be utilized on the line of scrimmage, and they're going to utilize his frame. No, this is going to be basically... In extended wide receiver, because he has a wide receiver skill set in the tight end body and structure. And that's why they felt the value was so good. Yes, there's risk in terms of injury, but if he stays healthy, what you're adding to the roster for a compensatory third-round pick, to me it's a no-brainer. And I think that's what at least he was getting at when he was talking with reporters and and the media. And
2: you look at Darren Darren Waller's body of work and what he's done. I mean, he's matched up against a lot of safeties, corners, number one coverage guys, and he's beaten them, you know, time after time and time after again. You know, and I I didn't look at it just as a a prospect as an off-season move to get a guy like that. But I look at during the NFL season when you do a scouting report, you put guys in certain categories, and Darren Waller would be in that elite player category where you're going to talk about him in the beginning of the the, the, the meeting uh, to, to, to to talk about who you're playing the next week. Who you need to focus He's on. He's the first yeah. guy you're talking about, especially for the New York Giants. And now you throw him in with Saquon Barkley. You throw him in with, with Daniel Jones' capabilities. Now the Giants have a, basically a trio of talent that they can, you know, you can get guys scared now. You know, when we talked about this last year, a lot of receivers for the Giants, none of them truly scared me. Saquon Barkley is a guy that scares me. Now Daniel Jones, what he did in the the, uh, the playoff game, the first playoff game, he can scare some guys. Darren Waller is definitely one of them players that's scary. So I think they did a tremendous job in finding him and going into the, I guess it was the the combine, and they had the conversations with with the Raiders, Ziegler, right? Correct, with the Raiders, with the, General with the Raiders. Said, yeah. And he was like, you know, he was able to have that conversation with him, and they presented Darren Waller to him, which nobody knew about Darren Waller. I guess being on a trading block or whatever the, the case may be. But that's what's so important, and that's what really goes into like these special little meetings, and like it's not just for us to watch these college guys. It's for the GMs and the coaches to get together oh. and rub elbows and see what they can do to either help each other out or see what they can help their franchise out or organization out and seeing if they can grab a guy, a blue chip, a blue player, a primetime player like a Darren Waller that's not going to play no special teams, that's going to contribute <laughs> right away and be a a, 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 a tremendous player for the New York Giants.
3: That's why I saved this part of the conversation after we addressed special teams because <laughs> I know it wasn't, he wasn't going getting to apply in that conversation. For, correct, Exactly. I we'll want to make sure we have some smooth transitions on this program, but in all seriousness, I think you bring up a great point because Joe Shane was talking about You talk to GMs at the Combine, Jonathan, because you want to get an idea of the availability of some of their players. You know, it's not as if there's a website that these GMs go on and say, (laughs) okay, you know, these five guys are available. No, you talk shop. And Ziegler finds out from Joe Shane who may be available on the Giants roster and vice versa. And Waller's name came up. Okay, so Joe Shane mentioned, you go back to your front office team and you say, hey, I was talking with the Raiders. They said, Darren Waller is available depending on the price. What do we think about him? The pro personnel staff, what did you see on film when you were stunning up on the Raiders or previous matchups? Because remember, he comes from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. They're playing the Raiders more often than the Giants are because the Giants are only getting the Raiders once every four years. And that's how the dialogue plays out. And then you put two and two together and you say, okay, what are we willing to sacrifice to bring in a player like and that?
2: Also factored in our training staff. When he was sure. talking about his injury history, he factored in, you know, uh, that Ronnie Barnes and, and his training staff here just won an Ed Block Courage Award for the training staff. So he factored that in as well. You know, and you don't really hear guys talking about the training staff, you know, especially when it comes to combine and, and meetings yeah. and stuff oh, like that. They're very important. You know, yeah. And and there's something into that face to face meeting. You know, because usually when you're making transactions with other teams, that's over the phone, whatever, be it FaceTime. We could do FaceTime now. But it's something about that in-person meeting that you can get a lot of stuff done. And that's what, you know, I think that's what, if it wasn't for the combine, we would never got Darren Waller. That's what I think.
3: Completely with you. Well, mm-hmm. that's why, not to get off topic, but, you know, there's been some whispers about, especially from the NFLPA side, Demora Smith, the executive director, he came out publicly and said, you know, the combine is unfair. You're forcing players to demonstrate their skill set, and some guys are not invited. And my reaction was, listen, I understand he's coming from the NFLPA perspective. He has to represent their needs. But the benefit from the team's perspective, even the player's perspective, what other event do you have where you have all 32 right. teams, Jonathan, present for everybody at their disposal, whether it be agents, mm-hmm. whether it be executives, whether it be veteran players, whether it be rookies? That holds value.
2: Yes, absolutely. Because
3: there's so many different elements in play. That's why no matter how you want to spin it, whatever side of the fence you're on, I don't see them ever eliminating this event. Putting aside, of course, the financial value because it's an event and right. you can broadcast it and this and that.
2: And they're always making money, baby. Correct.
3: <laughs> but the value from the team standpoint, to get everybody in the same location.
2: I mean, show me another time on the calendar. Everything's digital now. Like we said, we can communicate through you know whatever type of you know know, uh, podcasts and whatever video. But there's nothing like in person. A lot of deals get done by the shaking of hands. In person, and you know I think that's what happened. And I I think you're right. The the combine's not going nowhere. You know, maybe it changed locations. I don't know why it's in Indianapolis all the time. What's that about? Middle of the
3: country. Easy okay, for everybody Okay, understandable. Get to, I mean, you know, it's a little geography. cold, though. It's sure. a little cold. Yeah. Well, but you're indoors pretty co- much the entire time. It was cold when anyway. I was up there.
2: It oh, was cold, yeah. man. Inside was a little cold, It was like 60 degrees inside. That's cold. Now, nah, for me, I was coming from Wisconsin. It wasn't that bad. I was going to
3: say. I I'm mean, just saying. from be, a guy that played it It'd be in Big nice 10. to
2: play like in the middle of the country, like somewhere, Houston, or Tampa somewhere. Oh. Tampa Bay's not the middle of the no, country. No, but I was getting at your
3: resume. I, I felt we were oh, getting yeah. more in this direction. Oh yeah. Look, you I would just love, want to go to the climates that
2: listen, appeased listen. You. But maybe you know, maybe it has a little bit to do with there's not too much to do in Indianapolis compared to Tampa, compared to Houston.
3: Well, but see, I'm looking at it. Am I going to get myself in trouble? No, no, right? no, no, no. You're not going to get yourself in trouble. But I'm fascinated to at least peel back the layers of this. The reason why. I don't think anyone in NFL circles is looking at what's around in the areas because they're busy negotiating, evaluating prospects. They don't have time to go to the beach.
2: No, I'm talking about just the the weather. But you're looking at it was snowing, flights were canceled. Okay, well we don't want that. Okay,
3: we want to avoid that. Right. So that's one good reason you've given to avoid (laughs) Indianapolis (laughs) of
2: all to make sure there's no delays in terms of getting into Indy. It was delays when I was there. A lot of flights were delayed. And so, I mean, honestly, the weather has changed a lot in the last 15 years like oh, absolutely we, we, we have think,
3: a we gonna give a science lesson here uh, on this program i mean just Global saying warming, like warming is that we where have you're a going 30
2: degree day today and tomorrow's supposed to be like 70 degrees i, I don't know and what, i just came from south about. carolina
3: because i was, was that calling how games. was the weather there it was like 80 degrees i wanted to walk oh, out man. with a I'm short pair, pair of shorts week, and polo so. well there you go I'll so i'm giving you a little bit of a teaser okay yes well and then i come back and i want to put my winter coat on it's crazy crazy weather well, you never know what you're going to get out of us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live <laughs> as we will continue to break down the jet stream and what direction it comes from, the pros and cons of the combine, what to look forward to the draft, and whether or not the Giants should draft a center and a running back. If you're going to tell me you watch this entire program and you didn't get enough versatility, people, I don't know what to tell you, all right? I don't know. It's a lost cause at this point. Jonathan, it's always a pleasure going back and forth. Always. Absolutely. Look forward to doing it again. As tomorrow, we'll be back up and running, and we'll start to preview a handful of other schools as we get closer to the 2023 NFL Draft. And a reminder, today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, it's part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Jonathan Casillas, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. We'll be back up and running on Friday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.